Hey everyone, we wanted to make a quick announcement before the episode. We will be performing a live podcast show on October 29th, 2021 at Center Stage Theater in Naperville. This will be our first live event, so we're super excited to bring the show to a live audience. The event starts at 7 p.m., and your ticket will include the live episode, a showing of Young Frankenstein, live music by Warren Peach, and a 12-ounce can of the beer pick to enjoy along with us. Tickets are $5 and available for purchase on our website at beerandfearcast.com slash events. A big, big shout out to Center Stage Theater for hosting the event and to Metropolitan Brewing out of Chicago for sponsoring the event and providing the beer. You can check them out at centerstage-theater.com and metrobrewing.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you all there. Pollyanna Brewing Company uh, does not brew Daisy Cutter. <laughs> yeah, you messaged me about that. <laughs> no, but I, I feel like I need to announce that formally on an episode that no one listens to that I was oh, wrong, and uh, they do not brew Daisy Cutter. I thought Pollyanna brewed Daisy Cutter, but that is um, Half Acre. Mm-hmm. Brewing company, but I still want to go to Pollyanna. They have I showed you that Instagram thing where they have the the beer, the blueberry beer, mm-hmm. and then vodka, and then the syrup. They made a new cocktail. Shit looks bomb. I want to go there. And it's like right down the street. jumped like i did <laughs> my name is zach what's uh, this episode about uh this episode is about biological warfare that's so you always surprise me <laughs> with the topics yeah i'm excited uh i'm curious as to what you're are we gonna like drink like toxic waste yes like oh my god you just guessed so it? good Tox- literally run off <laughs> actually we're gonna drink topical flint uh flint's water topical flint yeah flint Flint, Michigan. Oh, we're gonna drink Flint, their water. Flint, okay, yeah, they, they just canned that and distributed it to Benny's. Yep, all across the nation. On the shelf. We shouldn't be making jokes about that. <laughs> I mean, they shouldn't have horrible water, yet they do. <laughs> it's all their fault. It's not Flint, Michigan's fault. Biological warfare. Um, cool. I learned a lot in my research, and I'm excited to drink toxic waste. For uh, our beer. Maybe we'll get superpowers. Maybe. What would your superpower be? Um, I've always liked the idea of flight. Being able to fly? Yes. I would do time travel. I feel like that's just whole messy It is messy. Can of worms. But I, I would have so much fun knowing that I could change. Yeah, but you wouldn't know the outcome. You're, well, I would because then I would go f- in forward in time and say, oh, that's what I did. And then you'd just be constantly oh. going through a loop of repeating <laughs> and fixing your mistakes. Oh, I shouldn't have squashed that cricket. Now we're in the Third World War. Okay, I see. I'm going to go back and change go that. Go back and fix that. Yeah. But you can't 
But, like, depending on what timeline, like, time travel rules you believe in, you can't let your past self I know it's, that's traveling back in time, squishing the cricket, see you. Yeah, it's so So you have so to, like, messy. cause a series of events to stop you from squishing a cricket. Yeah, it's just, I would have to, I'd have to make, make like, a game plan or You'd something. You'd need a, yeah. a timeline. A lot of coordination involved. That'd be too much. I don't think I could do it. Keep it simple with flight, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but then you'd be like a, you'd be like a science experiment. The F, like the government How would, would you try time to time traveling not be a science experiment. People would just not know. I'd have Who to keep it a I'd secret. I'd let people know I can fly. Well, you're just assuming. I mean, it'd be kind of hard to fly around without someone noticing. Pretty sure if I fly high enough, no one would see me. Yeah, but you'd have to like get off the ground first. I'd like go how to, do like, you? The middle of the woods. <laughs> I got an answer for everything. Okay. It's been a couple weeks. <laughs> Has it? Yeah. How uh, how's it been? Okay. I have a new job. I think I said that in last week's. Um, or yep. And you really like ago. it. I do. I like it very much. Exciting. I was regaling him with tales of the children I work with. Hmm. It's it a lot of fun. I like it. Um, Most children are well behaved. Some children are not. Mm-hmm. My dad was under the weather. He had an issue. Oh, with, yeah. He's better. With his side. Um, he is doing better now. He is still in pain. But, you know, whatever. He'll be fine. Mm-hmm. He's going to work no matter what. Yep, stubborn. Man's a machine. What What else? Zach, tell me what I did this week. What did you do this week? I literally just worked. I work a very consistent job now, so it's just like nothing of interest happens on the weekdays anymore. You got weekends off, though. Mm-hmm. It's good. I still don't do anything with them. All right. Boring stay-at-home schmuck. Well, it's a job you enjoy and you like doing it, and they pay you well, so that's good facts what about you buddy i need to pay my rent um i went to court for my accident oh you didn't tell me that yeah the other party didn't show up so i got thrown uh, away mm-hmm. so, uh, i wouldn't show up either if no. i was in the wrong <laughs> no ticket for me um i went to chicago i tried to go to the shed aquarium but it was closed mm-hmm. Uh, it still had a really fun time out there. I went to a restaurant called Melly Cafe that I had wanted to go to for the, like the past 10 years. And I passed it every single time I'd go to school when I was walking. Twice a day, you know, I'd walk by it. And every time I was like, I want to go here. Every time I'm in Chicago with a friend, it's like, we should go here. And never, never worked out. So I'm glad that I finally got to go there, eat at this restaurant. It was okay. <laughs> it was a little underwhelming. Uh after, you know, 10 years of wanting to go there. But I, it was still memorable, and I'm glad that I got to go finally. Melly Cafe on, uh, used to be called Congress Parkway. It's now Ida B. Wells Drive, I think, in Chicago's Loop. I have finished uh, Sober September. Mm. So, yeah, uh, the no drinking, no vaping for the month of September. I didn't vape at all, which was nice. Uh, but I did cheat a couple days the drinking i had some tequila shots one day and then when i was in chicago i had a few beers i had a mimosa a few cocktails just that one day but other than that it was just the podcast drinks um so it really wasn't a sober (laughs) september but i didn't i didn't make (laughs) i didn't make drinks and um didn't drink at all besides that so except those few times except just yeah so sober okay why don't you talk about the beer? No. Okay. Let me pull it up. Okay. Our 
Mm, Biar. Toxic Sludge. I mean. By Biohazard Brewing Company. That's what it's called. <laughs> That's what it is. <clears throat> Our beer is from Pipeworks. Pipeworks. Can't get away from them. I was going to pick a St. Arant beer, but then I was like, no, stop it. <laughs> Too many. <laughs> I do want to have another one, though. Oh, they came out with a new one that looks good. We'll have to do one soon. Um, so we know the backward, uh, background of Pipeworks, but they were established in Chicago in 2012 by friends with a shared dream of crafting quality and creative beers. <laughs> Our beer is called Colliding Worlds. Made me think of that Power Man 5000 song. This is what it's like when worlds collide. <laughs> okay, you think you're the only one. Uh, no. Someone out there who knows what I'm talking about, who played Tony Hawk's Pro Skater on the N64, knows exactly what I'm talking about. This is a whiskey sour beer. What? Sour with lemon and orange peel blended with bourbon barrel aged beer. Worlds collide. We took a page from the world of cocktails to bring you this whiskey sour beer. We brewed a light and lemony beer with a garnish of orange peel and blended in a perfect amount of barrel-aged beer to give Colliding Worlds a bit of oaky vanilla. It says vanillin? Vanillin. Yeah, I think that's a word. Okay, well. And bourbon character. This beer is balanced, complex, super tasty, oh and a bit on did I sell that for you? Uh, yeah. Thank I'm you. I'm beyond excited. It is 7% ABV. Okay. It has nothing on Beer Advocate. One review. Just the one. Gonna read it? And one rating. You gonna they, read the review? No? It's just numbers. They didn't oh, fill it out. Got it. They gave it a 3.77. So okay. That's the review. That's the rating it's got. Okay. Yeah. Um, Beer Advocate calls it a wild ale. Yeah, I guess, you know, it's like a sour, but it's different. So that's the uh, category that gets put in, I suppose. That's uh, never heard anything like it. A whiskey sour beer. I'm trying to see when they came out with it. It's pretty recent. All right, I'll get it. It's cold? <laughs> yeah, it's cold. <laughs> Pipeworks has like a picture on their Instagram of a bunch of hops, and I was like, look at all that weed. <laughs> Let's see. It came out August 12th. Oh, wow. You would think it would have more reviews by now. You know, it probably has a bunch of reviews on uh, Untapped. Oh, my God. Thank you. Appreciate you. How dare you just throw that like it's trash? Because it is. Whoa, there's a lot happening here. Put this on my fridge at home. Do it. I'm going to... Colliding world. That was hard. She's a child. That's like top tier. Look, there's a there's a couple of unicorns. There's some lemons. There's a lemon with rings around it as if it's a planet. What is this fallacy? Uh, hey, Paige, um, just uh, what color is that lemon there? Yellow. Interesting. Is that a trick question? Hmm, a yellow, yellow lemon. What is Got that? It. Okay. Is it a, hmm. a sifter of some kind? Uh, it's a, that's a strainer. Uh, bar strainer. That's mm-hmm. another strainer. And then there's a jigger. Why is there a monkey wrench? There's a coupe glass. 
I don't know. I don't use that you on my bar. You didn't even pick the beer. Why am I asking you? I don't have one of these on my bar. I think I should. Monkey one wrench. of those old school stars that kids used to doodle in their notebooks? Oh, it, it, I'm looking for the S that people used to doodle. Also, oh, like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, some lemons with some rings around them. A fancy glass with a unicorn jumping into it. It's a coupe glass. Your coupe glass. A, and a rocket. Yeah, a rocket a, blasting off. A rocket, too. Uh, and then everything's coming out of a barrel. Again, nothing to pair it with. I hate that. Blended with barrel-aged beer, sour ale with lemon and orange peel. Oh, it's a, a monkey wrench because that's the logo of Pipeworks. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. We figured it out. Ooh, a little splash back there. Got a little dirty thumb. What? <laughs> <laughs> One in the stink. Okay. <laughs> Oh, what do you uh, what do you expect out of this? Do you think you'll like it? I never expect I like it. It smells good. It smells like a cocktail. Yeah, it smells lemon, and it smells like a sour beer. Mm-hmm. This is gonna sound weird, but it smells light. Okay. Whoa, whoa, she's a lady. Stuck in my head now. What an interesting color. It looks like toffee. 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 Or tea. Yeah. Huh. It's foamy, but not unbearably foamy. You know? Unbearably foamy. Yeah, on a scale from from not foamy to unbearably foamy. See, that's the sweet spot. In the middle. Go down. That's what he said. <coughs> uh, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's like the color of tea, like you like you said, and it's a little um, opaque. Fancy boy, your mm. fancy words. It smells more interesting in the glass. Yeah. Then it, again, it could just be a dirty glass. It's not. It smells like a sour beer. I can't uh, I can't pick much else up off of this. Just, it, you know, the lemoniness, the color of it. I feel like I'm about to drink a nice tea. Why did you feel it so high? I don't know. That was a mistake. I shouldn't have done that. You really shouldn't have. Baby clink. It feels like unsweetened tea. It's almost like I'm drinking a weird soda. It tastes like, oh, like an Arnold, Arnold, Arnold? like an Arnold Palmer. That was like left out for a while. Like they opened it. Yeah. Like the canned lemon. Oh, they o- yeah. Color. They opened it. They drank like a quarter of it, and then they left it out in the sun yes. for a little. They came back it, next it week, and it's like, like, oh, I forgot about that. It got flapped. Yeah. Like it's tea. like, oh, I forgot about. Do you think it's still good? It's, and her friends are like, no, I wouldn't drink that. It's like, oh, I'm gonna drink it anyway, and that's what it tastes like. Because it tastes like a little bit like the lemon is a little, a little off. Yeah. But not in a bad way. I'm gonna say it's smooth. It is smooth. Now, no bite, really. There's a little bite in the swallow. And then on a scale of like, I'm all about scales tonight, <laughs> scale of not drinkable to chuggable, I could chug this. It's very easy to drink. It is. Yeah, it goes down smooth. Um, and the sour, there's really not a whole lot of bite to it. You. The sourness, it just kind of sneaks in mm-hmm. on the back end, and it's pleasant. It's you, get not, a little, you get a little lemon yeah. and orange dancing on your tongue. It's not overbearing at all. I, I could ask for a little more orange, a little more lemon in there. Barrel-aged beer. Now, whiskey sour beer. I think that's the whole kind of iced tea vibe. 
I I think that's what it is. It's like it's like if whiskey's trying to be beer, but it's doing a real bad job at it. Mm. This is you know. I'm all about my analogies that don't make sense today. You're all about scales. I'm all about analogies and making up stories. Do you notice that I support you blindly? I appreciate it. You're welcome. Glad we're in this together. Yeah. Where would I be? <clears throat> Probably on a much more successful podcast. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, the whiskey, it's like, oh, sure, I suppose. It just kind of seems like the aftertaste, and I hate to say this. It's like something was curdled, and you got the sour end of it. Mm. It, uh, yeah, whiskey, lemon. It's like a sour beer, but it's not really. And it's kind of like whiskey, but not really. I, I, I get a strong Arnold Palmer vibe from it, though. Uh, it's not bad. Wish I liked it more. I wish I liked it more too. It's it's unique and it's interesting and it's unlike anything I've had before, which I love that you picked this out. Very cool. And I'm glad I tried it. And it's decent, but I wouldn't order another one. Let's rank it. All of my research is from Wikipedia. Biological warfare. I just did. Biological warfare Mm -hmm. is the topic. Tell me about it, stud. It's sometimes known as germ warfare. Uh Is the use of biological toxins or infection, infectious agents, infection agents. Uh, like bacteria, viruses, insects, and fungi, with the intent to kill, harm, or incapacitate humans, animals, or plants as an act of war. Let me mention something. One of the kids in one of the classes that I help teach likes to be read to at nap time. So I was like, okay, go get a book. So he brought one of his books. It was a book on how insects can kill people and other insects. And I was just like, why does a child have this book? And he brought that from home? Yeah. It went into detail. It was like, mosquitoes kill more than, I think, 700 something? No, no, not 700. It was uh, 270,000. 270,000 people a year. Uh I was just like, why does a kid need to know this? Getting ready for the real world. Mm-hmm. How do you incapacitate a plant? Tell me. Like a living plant? Not like a nuclear plant? Yeah, it says uh, these things with the intent to kill, harm, or incapacitate humans, animals, or plants as an act of war. Crops? Poison? Right, yeah. Poison crops. But how do you incapacitate it? Mm, I guess that's a weird word choice for plants. <laughs> I don't know. Biological attacks have the ability to result in large number of civilian casualties and cause severe disruption to economic and societal infrastructure. Uh-huh. A nation or group that can pose a credible threat of mass casualty casualty has the ability to alter the terms under which other nations or groups interact with it. So think like blackmail. If there's a country that has the potential to cause all this harm, mm-hmm. people are going to listen to them more. Like North Korea. Oh. Biological weapons possess destructive potential and loss of life far in excess of nuclear, chemical, or conventional weapons. Like some chemical weapons, biological weapons may also be useful as uh, area denial weapons, which are exactly what they sound like. They deny you from an area. Oh, I was not thinking that. They may be lethal or non-lethal and may be targeted against a single individual, a group of people, or an entire population. As a... 
tactical weapon for military use, a significant problem with biological warfare is that it would take days to be effective and therefore might not immediately stop an opposing force. Like guns can. Some biological agents, like smallpox or the pneumonic plague, which we've talked about, have the capability of person-to-person transmission through the air. Drawbacks are obvious, as it could spread to unintended populations. It could also unintentionally escape the laboratory where where it was developed by affecting a researcher. That's how I was born. Which has happened, yeah. (laughs) Um, I escaped the research lab I was created in. Yeah. Biological research is an extremely high-risk job, and biological agents have an extremely high probability of unintended infection. They're probably going to wear like a hazmat suit. The earliest documented incident of the intention to use biological weapons is possibly recorded in the Hittite Hittite texts Mm -hmm. of 1500 to 1200 BC, in which victims of tularemia, tularemia, which is rabbit fever, Oh, no. Were driven into enemy lands, causing an epidemic. So they just took all these rabbit fever-infected people and just said, go run over there and kill people. Other early instances included the poisoning of arrow tips, poisoning of uh, water supplies, or launching hordes of venomous animals at enemies. I'm sure you'll talk about some cases. It's been argued that smart people would never use biological weapons offensively. Because they're so... Who argued that? Mm Mm-hmm. They're so haphazard, you know? Uh, The main reason is that they can't be controlled. They can backfire and harm the user. Uh, An agent like smallpox or other airborne viruses would almost certainly spread worldwide and ultimately infect the user's home country. However, this argument does not apply to bacteria. For example, anthrax can easily be controlled and even created in a garden shed. The FBI suspects it can be done for as little as $2,500 using readily available laboratory equipment. So, here's the plan. Okay. Okay. Listening. You and I. Both ears. Are going to make anthrax. Okay. In a garden shed. All right. We can buy a garden shed at Home okay. Depot. Mm-hmm. Where are we going to put it? Um, you and I both live in apartments. You're, it's going to go in your backyard. I don't really have a big enough backyard for a shed. We'll make it work. And then we just need... $2,500. Okay. And we'll make some anthrax. This sounds like a pyramid scheme. Don't tell the FBI. Okay. I feel like we should just say that that was a joke. I don't know what you're talking about. I feel like you also need to say <laughs> for the sake of the FBI agent that's listening. All right. Harold, I'm sorry. Whose name is Harold in the FBI? He's like 80, works at a desk. Yeah, his name's Harold. You don't know Harold? Harold, I'm joking. Seriously, we're not going to make anthrax. Don't worry about it. No one listens to this anyway. How do you make anthrax? Google. Google. Oh, that's going to pop up as a red flag. Never mind. Maybe open like an incognito tab or something. That doesn't even matter. It's just to lull you into a false sense of security so you look up weird shit. Get a a VPN. Like NordVPN. This episode sponsored by... (laughs) (laughs) Use promo code Beer and Fear. (laughs) Ideal characteristics of a biological agent to be used as a weapon against humans are... Uh, high infectivity, high virulence, which is the ability to cause damage, sure. non-availability of vaccines, okay. and availability of an effective and efficient delivery system. Stability of the weaponized agent and control of the spread of the agent may also be desirable, particularly for military applications. So, going back to anthrax, uh-huh. Bacillus anthracis, mm-hmm. anth- anthracis, 
the scientific name. It's considered an effective agent for several reasons. Uh, first, it forms spores, perfect for dispersal aerosols. Second, this organism is not considered transmissible from person to person and thus rarely, if ever, causes secondary infections. Infections start with ordinary flu symptoms and progress to lethal hemor- hemorrhagic mediastinitis, uh, which is like the inflammation of like your lung tissue, uh. hemorrhagic mediastinitis, within three to seven days with a fatality rate of 90% if left untreated. And lastly, friendly personnel and civilians can be protected with suitable antibiotics. So that's why it's, anthrax is such a good uh, biological weapon to use, and it has been used. The U.S. developed an anti-crop capability during the Cold War that used plant diseases for destroying enemy agriculture. Biological weapons also target fisheries as well. See, that's how you incapacitate a plant. But do you incapacitate or kill it? You know what? You know, how can a plant be incapacitated? Okay, I think I'm going to argue that it's still edible, but it's not safe to eat. Where, like, it just gets knocked out for a little bit? I mean... And then the the corn comes too? Yeah, not not like that. Not like that. (laughs) You're 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 crazy. The U.S. and Britain discovered plant growth regulators, herbicides, during the Second World War. That's when they were discovered, which were then used by the United Kingdom during the Malayan Emergency, as well uh, as by the U.S. during the Vietnam War. What is the Malayan Emergency? It is a kind of like a mini war or mini battle. Uh-huh. Uh, I didn't go into it too much. Oh, okay, go on. But. Yeah, it's it's a weird name to call like a war or battle, but as well as by the U.S. during the Vietnam War with Agent Orange hmm. was a very popular herbicide. There are also many documented cases of anti-livestock operations utilizing viruses or bacteria to infect cattle or horses. Um, entomological warfare is a type of biological warfare that uses insects to attack the enemy. It's funny you mentioned that book. I'm sure. What's his name? The child with the book. Oh, I'm not, no. Okay, a child. Share a child's name. <laughs> it's a first name. Make doesn't, one up. Doesn't matter. Stephen. Uh, no, Ste- I want to make up the name. Just make a name. Herbert. Herbert. So Herbert brought in that book about insects, um, and I thought it was topical because um, EM or EW, <coughs> entomological warfare, insects attack the enemy. The concept has existed for centuries, and research and development have continued into the modern era. One type of EW involves infecting insects with a pathogen and then dispersing the insects over the target areas. So you got infected bugs, they infect other people. Mm -hmm. A second type is a direct insect attack against crops, which threatens agriculture. So what's um, what's that bug that gets crops... Eats crops, and it's part of the Bible. Uh, locusts? Locusts, yeah. So imagine like a locust swarm. And then I the don't f- want to. Okay, then don't. Then the final method uses uninfected insects, such as bees, wasps, etc. <gasps> bees! To directly attack the enemy. So the third type is th- these bugs that are attacking, you know, stinging people to mm-hmm, death. Mm-hmm. Uh, bioterrorism is terrorism involving the intentional release or dissemination of biological agents uh, when non-national groups use biological weapons, or if nation-states do so clandestinely, it may be considered bioterrorism. Is dissemination when you remove semen from somebody? Oh, no, that's dissemination. Oh, yeah, the, I'm so sorry. too confused easily. Um, biological weapons are difficult to detect, economical, and easy to use, making them appealing to terrorists. 
production is very easy as uh, just ask any terrorist they'll tell you they're what appeals to you appealed, yeah we're gonna focus group this all right boys get together we asked 100 terrorists <laughs> uh, production is very easy as comet technology can be used to produce biological warfare a major factor that attracts terrorists is that they can easily escape before government or secret agencies have even started their investigation as ah. most incubation periods are three to seven days genius yep um, with everything that I talked about so far, it makes sense that there are laws that restrict the manufacture, use, and distribution of No, that seems these silly. Weapons. Yeah, there, there has to be some laws. Nah. Uh, one of them is the Geneva Protocol. Okay. Not the Geneva Convention, but oh. the Geneva Protocol. I didn't know there was either or. Um, it's the protocol for the pro- prohibition of the use and war of asphyxiating, poisonous, or other gases, and of bacteriological methods of warfare. But they, they like, they shorten it to the Geneva Protocol. I don't know why, but... They just call it the Geneva Protocol instead of that. Uh, World War One saw large-scale chemical warfare. France used tear gas. The German Empire used chlorine gas. And others mm. used hydrogen cyanide, which was lethal on the battlefield. Uh, it's a, The Geneva Protocol is a treaty that prohibits the use, but not the possession or development, of biological and chemical weapons in intentional armed conflicts. It was signed in on June 17, 1925, and entered into force on February 8, 1929. So, despite the Geneva Protocol, there have been plenty of violations as well. Okay. People, people aren't really listening to that. I won't go into specifics. But uh, another one is the Convention on the Prohibition of the Development, Production, and Stockpiling of Bacteriological, in parentheses, Biological, and Toxin Weapons, and on their destruction, known as the Biological Weapons Convention. Again, they shortened it to that. I guess the other one was a little wordy. Uh, it's a disarmament treaty that effectively bans biological and toxin weapons by prohibiting their development, production, acquisition, transfer, stockpiling, and use. It supplements the Geneva Protocol. It was entered into force on March 26, 1975. And there are... What? Oh, Jersey. Yeah. I was like, what? There oh. are 109 signatories and 183 parties to the convention which covers most countries. So most countries are involved in this biological weapons convention. Oh, okay. Um there are 14 non-parties, one of them being Chad. Oh, I was like that's not a place. I was like oh Fucking it is Chad. a place. <laughs> it's just a guy he didn't want to sign. <laughs> <laughs> just Chad, part of the UN. It's like my backyard is its own country. Little brief popular culture. Since we can't do the biological warfare shit in real life, we got to resort to making books, films, and video games about it. Makes sense. Uh-huh. Uh, in the Alien franchise, a key plot driving element of the story background is that the bioweapons division of the Sinister Company must have a specimen of the creature at all costs, even at the expense of the expendable humans that get in its way. There's the movie 28 Days Later. You've seen Alien, right? Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, 28 Days Later, I've, which I've also seen. Great film. We've talked about it before. Don't we talked like about that. it episode no, one. I don't like that movie. I know you don't. You don't like zombies. Uh, it's, there's a deadly modified rage virus that's released by an eco-terrorist in Cambridge destroying the UK. Why is it always eco-terrorists? Why are they always making these silly decisions? Like the new Godzilla movie. Um, I talked about that. Oh. Never um, mind. Oh, wait, no, I talk about Jurassic World. Okay, Go ahead. so the new Godzilla movie is about, like, the backing plot is about eco-terrorists making the decision to wake these ancient beings to completely destroy the Earth, to rebuild it, because humanity has gone too far. Humanity has gone too far. Eco-terrorists, it sounds like terrorists that are, like, 
uh, they care about the environment. They're eco-friendly terrorists. Yeah, it's like, but they always make these like dramatic decisions where they're just like, we're going to end it all because humanity has ruined Mother Earth and wildlife mm. shall reclaim the land. Got it. And they make these terrible decisions to like murder like billions of people and wipe out the entire continent, well, the entire world. And then it all backfires and they have this epiphany. That they're like, we went too far. Oh, it was a little much. And then they end up dying. Uh, Jurassic World. Uh, has a plot of using genetically engineered dinosaurs as um, military animals. Motherfucking beady Wong. And then uh, there's plenty of video games uh, out there that that cover bioterrorism. Like Resident Evil, Crisis 2, Plague Inc., Mass Effect, Metroid, Metro Last Night, Hitman, Arma 3, and the Fallout series. Did Mass Effect have... Yes, it did. It did. And then lastly, um, I'm going to talk about COVID, because COVID's kind of controversial. Mm. Let's make it more controversial. Sure. I found an article on Herald called, Coronavirus is a Biological Warfare Weapon. Continue. Uh, this is a um, study someone did, and I have their abstract and their introduction to this study. Uh-huh. I'm going to read them both. Their abstract. Dr. Francis Boyle, who drafted the Biological Weapons Act, has given a detailed statement admitting that the 2019 Wuhan coronavirus is an offensive biological warfare weapon and that the World Health Organization already knows about it. Francis Boyle is a professor of international law at the University of Illinois College of Law. He drafted the U.S. domestic implementing legislation for the Biological Weapons Convention, known as the Biological Weapons Anti-Terrorism Act of 1989, that was approved unanimously by both houses of the U.S. Congress and signed into law by President George H.W. Bush. Introduction. He wrote a book called Biowarfare and Terrorism. Dr. Boyle discusses the coronavirus outbreak in Wuhan, China, and the biosafety level 4 laboratory from which he believes the infectious disease escaped. He believes the virus is potentially lethal and an offensive biological warfare weapon or dual-use biowarfare weapons agent genetically modified with gain-of-function properties, which is why the Chinese government originally tried to cover it up and is now taking drastic measures to contain it, obviously. The Wuhan BSL-4 lab is also a specifically designed World Health Organization research lab, and Dr. Boyle contends that the WHO knows full well what is occurring. It's all a conspiracy. Not the who. The who. The band The Who. Yeah, they're the reason. Coronavirus. I gotta think of the who songs. <laughs> they're the reason that uh, we all have COVID. That's my section. The only one I can think of is Behind Blue Eyes. Mm. Biological Warfare. It dates back a long time. That's my section. <laughs> all right, beardfearcast.com. <laughs> According to Homer's epic poems about the legendary Trojan War, the Iliad and the Odyssey, these are, I didn't mention these are cases of biological warfare. I should probably mention that. <laughs> what you're doing. Yeah. The spears and arrows were tipped with poison during the first sacred war in Greece in about 590 BC. Athens and Amph- Amphictyonic league poisoned the water supply of the besieged town of Cura near Delphi with the toxic plant Hellebore. According 
to Herodotus, during the 4th century BC, Scythian archers dipped their arrow tips into decomposing cadavers of humans and snakes, or in blood mixed with manure, supposedly marking them contaminated with dangerous bacterial agents like Clostridium, Perfringens, and Clostridium tentani. Clostridium tentani. Yeah, yeah, Mm. I'm very familiar with it. And snake venom. Mm. In a naval battle against King Eumenes of uh, Pergamon in 184 BC, Hannibal of Carthage, good old Hannibal of Carthage, had clay pots filled with venomous snakes and instructed his sailors to throw them onto the decks of enemy ships. Just toss them. Yep. Fuck it. Yep. The Roman commander, Manius Achilles, I feel like you need to... Poisoned the wells of besieged enemy cities in about 130 BC. In about AD 198, the Parthian city of Hatra near Mosul, Iraq, repulsed the Roman army led by Septimus Severus. Severus Snape. <laughs> I'm just imagining people yeeting these snakes. <laughs> 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 they're not very aerodynamic, so you have to like. Can, you can't even throw it like a spear. Well, they're throwing. They're all po- they're throwing pots of them. I know, but you said snakes specifically. No, but like the pots, the jars of snakes, like a giant clay pot. You know, whenever I think of clay <sighs> pots, I always think of the pots from Legend of Zelda. Yes, yeah, me That's too. The only image that comes to my yeah. mind yeah. in the Parthian city of Hatra. They repulsed the Roman army led by Septimus Septimius Severus. By hurling clay pots filled with live scorpions at them. Like Scythian archers, Roman soldiers dip their swords into excrements like everybody else. Yep. And cadavers, too. That's what I do. Victims were commonly infected by tetanus as a result. Good times. Yeah, the first time I got a sword, I just took a dump and just put you it right in the You used your own dump? Yep. That seems uh, improper. Always keep your sword infected. That's what my dad told me. <laughs> Follow for more life tips. <laughs> <laughs> the Mongol Empire established commercial and political connections between the eastern and western areas of the world through the most mobile army ever seen. The army is composed of the most rapidly moving travelers who ever moved between the steppes of East Asia. Managed to keep the chain of infection without breaking, and I'm sorry, I should have mentioned, where bubonic plague was. Mm. I didn't mention that. They managed to keep the chain of infection without a break until they reached and infected peoples and rodents who had never encountered it. The ensuing Black Death may have killed up to 25 million total, including China, and mm. roughly a third of the population of Europe, and, then, and in the next decades, changing the course of Asian and European history. Did we talk about the plague? Yes. Well, it was one of our episodes, right? Yes, it was. Yeah, it was. Biological... Warfare were, uh, was extensively used in many parts of Africa from the 16th century A.D., most of the time in the form of poisoned arrows, or powder spread on the war front, as well as poisoning of horses and water supply of the enemy forces. Mm-hmm. In Borgu, Borga, Bor- Borgia, there were specific mixtures to kill, hypnotize, make the enemy bold, and to act as an antidote against the poison of the enemy as well. Make the enemy <sighs> bold? The creation of biologicals was reversed, I'm sorry, reserved, my brain no work, for a specific and professional class of medicine men. In South Sudan, the people of the uh, Kolyat Hills kept their country free of Arab invasions by using, uh, I think it's, um, 
I don't even know what I think it is. Uh, a type of flies as a weapon of war. Several accounts can give an idea of the efficiency of the biological warfare. For example, uh, Mockley Ferryman in 1892 commented on the De Domian invasion of Borgu, Borgu, stating that their poison arrows enabled them to hold their own with the forces of De, De Homi. Do, do, do something. Notwithstanding the later uh, the latter's muskets. The stabby things. The stabby things. Yeah, the stabby things. During the Middle Ages, victims of the bubonic plague were used for biological attacks, often by flinging uh, formites. Formites. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Is that poop? Inanimate objects. That when contaminated with or exposed to infectious agents can transfer disease to a new host. Mm. There we go. We learned something today. This episode of Beer and Fear is brought to you by the letter F for Formites. Don't forget to throw your decomposing corpses at people. Bring out your dead. Bring out your dead. Um, such as infected corpse, corpses and excrement over castle walls using catapults. Bring mm. back catapults. Bring back trebuchets. Bodies would be tied along with cannonballs and shot towards the city area. In 1346, during the Siege of Kaffa... The attacking Tartar, 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 Tartar forces, subjugated by the Mongol Empire under Genghis Khan more than a century ago. Oh, we should cover, we should do an episode on He's Khan. done a lot of stuff. Yeah. He had really cool daughters. Hmm. Used the bodies of Mongol warriors of the Golden Horde who had died of plague as weapons. It has been speculated that this operation may have been responsible for the advent of the Black Death in Europe. At the time, the attackers thought that the stench was enough to kill them, though it was the disease that was deadly. No fucking shit. <laughs> in 1422, during the siege of Karlstein Castle in Bohemia Hussite, Hussite, attackers used catapults to throw dead, but not plague-infected bodies, and 2,000 carriage loads of dung over the walls. Where'd they get that much dung? They just saved it up. It's like, all right, people, instead of pooping Everybody in your toilets. poop in the carriage. Yeah, everyone, we're going to bring this carriage around you know three what? times a day. You know what they probably did? They lined the carriages up, mm. and they took everybody's pooping pots that they have. What are they called? Yeah. No, what are they called? Yeah, pooping pots. <laughs> They're not called pooping pots. <laughs> what are they called? Like an out- it's before outhouses. Yeah, they had like little like buckets. Yeah, like pans. Yeah, what's what is the specific name for that? Though? I don't know. I'd call it a pooping pot. pot. <laughs> yeah, it's a pooping pot. And they're like, bring your pooping pots this Sunday <laughs> down to the carriages. Get a free drink of water <laughs> for every pooping pot you bring. Every pooping pot gets a drink of water. Uh huh. English longbowmen usually did not draw their arrows from a quiver. Rather, they stuck their arrows into the ground in front of them. This allowed them to knock the arrows faster, and the dirt and soil was likely to stick to the arrowheads, thus making the wounds much more likely to become infected. Look, what's that saying? God made dirt, and dirt don't hurt. Interesting. That's why people eat dirt. Because of Jesus. The last known incident of using plague corpses for biological warfare occurred in 1710 when Russian forces attacked the Swedes by flinging flinging plague-infected corpses over the city walls of Raval. However, during the 1785 siege of Lakel, forces flung diseased clothing into the city. 
in North America. The British Army attempted use of smallpox against Native Americans during the siege of Fort Pitt in June of 1763 during a parley in midst of the siege on June 24, 1763. Captain Simeon Equire gave representatives of the besieging Delawares two blankets and a handkerchief enclosed in small metal boxes that had been exposed to smallpox. In an attempt to spread the disease to the natives in order to end the siege, William Trent, the traitor turned militia commander who had come up with the plan, sent a bill to the British Army indicating that the purpose of giving the blanket was to convey the smallpox to the Indians. That's in quotes. The invoice's approval confirms that the British command endorsed Trent's actions. A reported outbreak that began that spring before left, as many as 100 Native Americans were dead in Ohio country. From 1763 to 1764, it is not clear, however, whether the smallpox was, was a result of the Fort Pitt incident or the virus was already present among the Delaware people, as outbreaks happened on their own every dozen or so years. And the delegates were met again later, and they seemingly hadn't contracted smallpox. Trade and combat also provided ample opportunity for transmission of the disease. A month later, British commander Lord Jeffrey Amherst. Lord wh- Jeff, for Whoever sure. that is. You say Jeff, my uncle. And Swish... Uh, swish. I have an Uncle Jeff. Oh. oh you, we also have an Uncle Steve, right? I also have an Uncle Jeff and Uncle Steve, yes. Gosh. White people. And Swiss British officer Col- uh, Col- Col- Colonel... Colonel. 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 Colon. cancer. Coral. Henry Bouquet discussed the topic of using blankets to spread smallpox amongst natives. Four letters are cited from June 29th, July 13th, the 16th, and 26th of 1763. Amherst wrote on July 16th, 1763, P.S. You will do well to try to inoculate the Indians by means of blankets, as well as to try every other method that can serve to extirpate? Sure. Okay. This, I don't know the word, execrable race. I don't know what that means. You've said a lot of things in your section that I've never heard of before in my life. I should be very glad your scheme of hunting them down by dogs could take effect. Bouquet replied on July 26, 1763, I received yesterday your excellency's letters of 16th with their enclosures. The signal for Indian messengers and all your directions will be observed. Smallpox was highly contagious among the Native Americans and together with measles, influenza, chickenpox, and other old world diseases was a major cause of death since the arrival of Europeans and their animals. Mm -hmm. In New South Wales, Australian Aborigines have always maintained that the British deliberately spread smallpox in 1789. But this possibility has only been raised by historians from the 1980s when Dr. Noel Butlin suggested there are some possibilities that disease could have been used deliberately as an exterminating agent. In 1997, David Day claimed there remains considerable circumstantial evidence to suggest that officers other than Philip or perhaps convicts or soldiers deliberately spread smallpox among Aborigines. 
And in 2000, Dr. John Lambert argued that strong circumstantial evidence suggests that smallpox the smallpox epidemic, which ravaged Aborigines in 1789, may have resulted from deliberate infection. Have you ever seen someone with smallpox? No, show me a picture. It looks sad. It looks like a tree. Oh, there it is. Oh, it's on the TV. Yeah, it looks scaly. On September 18, 2001, and for a few days thereafter, several letters were received by members of the U.S. Congress and American media outlets which contained intentionally prepared anthrax spores. The attack sickened at least 22 people, of whom five died. The identity of the bioterrorist remained unknown until 2008, when an official suspect who had committed suicide was named. Suspicions of an ongoing Iraqi biological warfare program were not substantiated in the wake of the March 2003 invasion of the country. Later that year, however, Muammar Gaddafi was persuaded to terminate Libya's biological warfare program. In 2008, according to a U.S. uh, congressional, congressional, what is wrong with me? Research Service report, China, Cuba, Egypt, Iran, Israel, North Korea, Russia, Syria, and Taiwan are considered, with varying degrees of certainty, to have some biological warfare capability. Mm-hmm. Here's some like, specific ones, I guess. Uh, Japan, during their attacks on China, during the Second World War II, um, Second World War, you don't have to say two. Second World War <laughs> number two. It's like saying the ATM machine. Well, I mean, it's that it came after Second World War number one, but it was before Second World War number three. <laughs> Two international treaties outlawed um, biological weapons in 20, uh, 1925 and 1972, but they, like you said, have largely failed to stop countries from conducting offensive res- uh, weapons research and large-scale production of biological weapons. Mm-hmm. During the Second World War, the Japanese army poisoned more than a thousand water wells in Chinese villages to study cholera and typhus outbreaks. I know those things. Do you? They're awful. Uh, the Foundation of Microbiology by Louis Pasteur and Robert Koch, Coach Koch, offered new prospects for those interested in biological warfare and weapons because it allowed agents to be chosen and designed on a rational basis. These dangers were soon recognized and resulted in two international declarations in 1874 in Brussels and in 1899 in the Hog? Hog? H-A-G-U-E. Hog. That's a nice hog. That prohibited the use of poisoned weapons. However, although these as well as later treaties were all made in good faith, they contained no means of control and so failed to prevent interested parties from developing and using biological weapons. The German army was the first to use weapons of mass destruction, both biological and chemical, during the First World War. Although their attacks with biological weapons were on a rather small scale and were not particularly successful, covert operations using both anthrax and glanders attempted to infect animals directly or to contaminate animal feed in several of their enemy countries. After the war, with no lasting peace established, as well as a false and alarming intelligence report, Various European countries instigated their own biological warfare programs long before the onset of the Second World War. In 1155, Emperor Barbarossa poisons water wells with human bodies in Tortona, Italy. In 1346, the Mongols catapult bodies of plague victims over the city walls of Kaffa. 1495, Spanish mix wine with blood of leprosy patients to sell to their French foes in Naples, Italy. 
1650, Polish fire saliva from rabid dogs uh, towards their enemies. Uh, 1675, first deal between German and French forces to not use poison bullets. 1763, British distribute blankets from smallpox patients to Native Americans. 1797, Napoleon floods the plains around uh, Mantua, Italy to enhance the spread of malaria. 1863, Confederates sell clothing from yellow fever and smallpox patients to Union troops in the good old U.S. of A. I think that's everything I wanted to go over. Hmm. Okay, there's a couple funny things. Sorry, did I ask for your follow-up sound? Let's see. Hmm. I guess that's it. <laughs> okay. What'd you think of the beer, bud? What'd you think of the beer, bud? Beer was good. It was unique. It was interesting. Never had anything like it before. Look at that can. Got a lot of cool stuff on it. Yeah, unique, interesting, something different, but um, I don't know. It's okay. Not my cup of tea, even though it looked like tea. What did you think of the beer page? Thank you for asking. You're welcome. Unprompted. I always ask unprompted. I don't need glares staring into my soul to ask you the question in return. I think my... Why are there raccoons on the screen? Uh, don't worry about it. I'm a little worried about it. No, don't worry about it. So, I think my opinion is similar to yours. It was just... It's interesting because it was a whiskey sour beer and that's something different that, you know, we haven't had one of those before, but it was just like drinking an Arnold Palmer that's been left out for a few days. <laughs> it's got a little bit of booze in it. <laughs> yeah, it was an interesting tasting Arnold Palmer. Uh, yeah, unique, different. Easy to drink. Yeah. It smelled it, good. It goes down smooth. It doesn't have a whole lot of bite so to I. it. Just like you, Paige. It doesn't have a whole lot of bite to it. Um and uh, it's something different. But, yeah, I wouldn't order another one if I got it at a bar or I something. I have to agree. Yeah, it's good. Definitely try it, though. Uh, it came out in August. Mm-hmm. It's still a new beer. They're, they might still be making it, maybe. Check it out on Pipeworks' website. Pipeworks is a great company. Uh, we've had plenty of beers by them before. They make some good quality stuff. Good job, you guys and gals. BeerandFearCast.com is our website where you can listen to all of our episodes. Um, we're also available on every popular podcast platform like Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. We're on YouTube. You can check our stuff out there. Um, and then BeerandFearCast.com is our email. Um, and then on the About page, you can send us a, a message too. If you look on the website, there is a new um, section up there, a new button you can click on. Uh, called events. Go ahead, click on that, and then you can see we've got an event posted on our website for October 29th. Uh, we're doing our live show at Center Stage Theater um, with the help of Metropolitan Brewing Company in Chicago. It's going to be fantastic. We're looking forward to it. Still haven't started my research on it yet, but um, it's things are coming together, and we uh, have the event page on our website there where you can click to buy tickets. Tickets are five bucks. So check it out on our website, beerandfearcast.com, do slash events, get to that page. Click that link to buy tickets. Five dollars. October 29th at 7 p.m. We're gonna have beer, a movie, live podcast, some live music, and then there's food there. It's gonna be fun. 
great time. Any questions, let us know. But five dollars, five dollars for a for a night and all that. What a steal! Wouldn't you agree? No. Okay. It's an outright outrageous theft. I need more words. Okay. It's intense. Thanks. This feels like subliminal messaging for those cigarette ads. Purchase smoke. Purchase a ticket. Smoke. Purchase a ticket. Smoke. Purchase a ticket. Smoke nicotine (laughs) while you're pregnant. Please don't do that. It's good for the baby. No, it's not. (laughs) It's bad for the baby. Are you done? Fucking finally. Have a good day. I can't bend my knee. (laughs) This is where I.